Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another session of Cash Talk. And once again, I'm joined by Gianni Bissemestri. How are you, mate? Good. Thank you, John. Thanks again for having me. Nah, mate. Glad to have you on. Glad to have you on. And um, as always, with you as a little bit of the property specialist and me as the financial advisor who loves property, um, we're going to be deep diving today into the cash flow considerations when investing in property. And it's one of the things that is, you know, a very important thing for people to consider. Um, it's one of those ones where people do invest in property and they kind of, you know, hope for that capital growth and, you know, they buy that hidden gem where they buy for half a million and before you know it, it's worth a, a million bucks. But big consideration is around the cash flow because the cash flows when you're holding that property. So we're going to go through, dive into that, unpack that a little bit and and explore that t- today. For the people that are watching um, live on Facebook, please feel free to um, leave some comments and we'll try and answer some questions that you've got. But Gianni, um, when it comes to buying a property, um, let's start there. There's certain considerations in regards to the incomes, or the, so there's certain things that they need to look out for, and and what 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 is that? Well, the, the first one, the biggest consideration is uh, I feel that some people look at uh, a specific metric, which is the gross rental yield. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the gross rental yield, it, it, it in layman's terms, it's the amount of week that you sorry, the amount of rent that you get per week multiplied by 52 weeks divided by the the property value okay so a lot of people look at that and they and they think oh this is a high yielding property therefore it'll return me a fair amount however they haven't sort of considered the underlying expenses associated with the holding of property like um you know strata council water any sort of land tax that sort of stuff these are the some of the ongoing expenses associated with holding property and Chiani, just just so we go through the like just some of the common ones we just like break it down a little bit more what are some of the most common ones when it comes to the rental? First is obviously the agent. Yep, that would be the first one where the agent's kind of taking their clip out of that. And mm-hmm. what's what's your usual range? And obviously that's gonna that's gonna differ depending on what the property. But what would what would be like a common one or a rule of thumb? Yeah, yeah, a common one or a, like a, a property management expense for some of the bigger cities and towns would be anywhere between eight and nine percent. Sometimes like you can get a discount, you can get as low as sort of seven percent plus GST. And then sometimes for your regional and coastal areas, you can get as high as sort of ten percent. So that's that's for typical long term uh rental property. Mm-hmm. For your short term rental property like your um Airbnbs and holiday letting, it can be anywhere up to like twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, that's because there's a much higher sort of client turn uh tenant turnover. And there is typically more work involved from from, from the agent in regards to that as well too. Now, exactly, yeah. Another one as well too that pretty much everyone has is the the water connection, yeah, which is so the the, the water the water um, rates, and then you know after the water, you've usually got the the rates of the actual property itself, yeah, yep. Um, and probably the other one that needs to be taken into consideration is land tax as well too when you when you're buying a property. Um, and feel free to rattle off some more, you know, staple ones. Yeah. yeah. 
So some of the other cash flow considerations is if you've got a strata titled property, there's there's strata costs or body management, exp- uh, body corporate uh, expenses. Um, you've got to look into the strata property as well because for some strata titled property, there will be proposed levies for uh, subsequent financial years if they want to do any major works like they want to repaint the whole um, common area or they want to tear up something, they want to do some major work. So there'll be proposed special levies that they'll need to add to cash flow. Um, some of the other, we've talked about property management. Uh, body government. Body corporate, yeah, strata management or body corporate expenses. Another one is uh, landlord insurance as well. So depending on the location of your property, uh, some of the risks involved in uh, maintaining your property, uh, uh, landlord insurance or home insurance as well can be, you know, chalk and cheese depending on where you're where you're purchasing as well so a lot of things that you need to do is if you're considering um purchasing a property in a specific area is do a few um home and contents insurance quotes or landlord insurance quotes for that property as well because then you'll get an idea of how much it'll cost you to adequately insure that property and then the other one is probably as well too which people don't factor in is general maintenance isn't it as well too it's probably the other one that i see is a bit of a they, they don't take into consideration there is some you know the, the general expenses that or the general maintenance expenses that do come you know a door handle this or that that mm. you know needs to be taken into consideration as well yeah so for your strata titled uh, properties like your units villas townhouses there's less maintenance for your standalone um, or Torrens title uh, properties, there's a, there's a lot more maintenance sort of involved. Um, one of the maintenance costs associated so there's a small one. It's a smoke alarm, so you'll need to have smoke alarms tested every time. Uh, in some states, every time a tenant enters the property, you need to provide a um, a water flow certificate to ensure that if you want to charge the tenant water usage, that they don't uh, the the water doesn't flow. Uh, X amount per liter per minute sort of thing. So I think the rough number is like 10 liters per minute. So these, these, some of these expenses associated with just simply maintaining the property as well. Mm-hmm. So, so sounds like a lot of expenses. Yeah. That come with that. So it is a huge consideration that people have to have because from a cash flow perspective, well, especially now with the way that the rates are going in 2023, they can find themselves in a decent negative cash flow position, can't they? Yeah, exactly. Looking at the yield alone isn't a good indication of the, the cash flow. So typically, you know, high yield meets high rent, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, low expenses. Mm. So you, you need to take a lot of these cash flow considerations into account, like a lot, a lot of the ones that we've just sort of run mm. off. And, and just as like a general rule of thumb, and everyone's going to obviously be different, every property is different, but is there a kind of rule of thumb that you use in regards to allowing for some of these expenses? Yeah, so uh, rough the rough sort of general rule of thumb is I used like to use is roughly fifteen hundred dollars for like little tiddly bits, so mm-hmm. smoke alarms, mm-hmm. uh, change your washers, those sort of thing, fifteen hundred dollars a year because they're the sort of fixed or standalone costs, and then you can sort of calculate like a margin based on your net rental amount if you prefer as well. So I like to sort of use a rule of thumb of of five percent of your net rental, so after property management expenses. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. So. When you're taking that into consideration, there's a lot of properties, for example, that have gross rental yield. Yeah, of yep. the two to three percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And these are the ones that typically, not all the time, typically the lower the income, potentially the more capital growth. But it's not always the case. So please, there's a caveat around that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. everything yeah. we say is of a general nature, and we don't take your personal circumstances into consideration. So please reach out to your professionals in regards to that personal advice. But there are a lot of areas where the rental yield and the net 
amount that they receive. So, um, you know, the, the actual amount that they get in their pocket pocket does put them in a positive cash flow position. And I know from working with you that there are a lot of areas which have not the 2 to 2 3%. They've got much higher rental yields at the moment, don't they? Yeah, so uh, we're purchasing a property at the moment for clients that we're up around the 6%. So that one's actually uh, cash flow neutral based on interest-only um, repayments. Um, and where we, we looked at, uh, strata, sorry, not strata council, water and, uh, landlord insurance, mm -hmm. landlord and contents insurance for that one. Mm -hmm. We managed to negotiate uh, a couple of discounts. So we got a good discount on the property management expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we negotiated a couple other discounts as well. Not only that is we looked to get a tax depreciation schedule for the clients as well, because, uh, because of the age of the property, we can claim the depreciation, depreciating value of the property. So we've actually saved them tax as well, which is another expense associated with cash flow. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's depreciation. If everyone that doesn't know, it is like a, it's a tax deduction um, of a not real cash flow affected um, expense. And what depreciation is is there's an amount. Let's say it's a certain percentage of your property, and what they're trying to capture here is. You've got the land, which usually appreciates in value, but the building that sits on that, it gets older and it depreciates over time. So that depreciation of the property depreciating in value, not dollar for dollar, there's a calculation and, and like an immortalization schedule where you can grab that certain amount, put it on your tax return, and it deducts the amount that you're then going to claim. So some clients, for example, might be cash flow neutral, for example, but actually they become positively geared or well, positively cash flow because of the tax rebates that they get. But please bear in mind that building is depreciating in value. Now, what you would hope is that the land is appreciating at a much more rapid rate than what the building is depreciating. Because if you don't have that, you've obviously got an asset that's dropping off away. Yeah, and hopefully we're using some of the tax savings as well to maintain the property as well because uh, we know that a maintained property is more sought after by by tenants. Where if we look live in sort of an old unmaintained property and it doesn't look appealing, then typically you know it's not going to look appealing to to tenants and therefore it's not going to have demand and we're not going to push up rental prices. Now, another cash flow consideration that is in properties once you do have that property and you figured out all of this. Once you've got a property, I also always get like, you know, should I increase it this year? You know, should I whatnot, this, that? And I find a lot of people that they find themselves with a really good tenant and they don't increase the rate, okay, that they're paying each year. And they go, oh, what's the point of it increasing it by 10 bucks a week? And then from my perspective, they do this year one. They do this year two. They do this year three. And then all of a sudden they find themselves so far back that they all of a sudden, rather than having to go up $10 a week every week, they find themselves having to increase the rent by 50 bucks a week or 60 bucks a week in one year. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts around increases to obviously keep up with the costs of living and stuff like that, but also like the strategy around increasing your income over time with this rental property? Yeah, look, I've been 50-50s. Sometimes I've been somewhat sentimental with my tenants because they're young families or single parents or for whatever reason. And I've thought along the same ways, like good tenants, maintaining the property. Every time I get an inspection report, the place looks spotless, nothing to report. And so I've thought the same way, like 10 bucks, what's that, 500 bucks a week? You know, it's it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, a, a year rather. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. It's not going to... Um, it's not going to 
make any material difference to to me um, but it might be a material difference to the tenant but um, at the same time as an investor you, you want to look to maximize and make sure that your property is competitive in terms of the the market rate in terms of rental return as well so while you might think that it, it might sometimes do the tenant a disservice because you know, you, you're only thinking, okay, it's only ten dollars. What's what's the you know what's going to matter to to you? But uh, the the reality is, if that tenant went elsewhere, that's the market rate. So mm. that if they were to look for another property, then that's what they'd have to jump into. Yeah, correct. And and I think the I think the delay when you know that you're going to have to increase it, like you're not going to just keep it the same way for the next twenty years. Like you're going to have to increase it. Mm-hmm. Most tenants would like a gradual increase rather than these huge increases that they're going to find themselves in chunky positions. And I think it also shocks them. Mm-hmm. And if you think about this, even from a business perspective, if you've got clients, for example, let's say my clients, and you know, you're increasing in huge chunks, they go from paying $5,000 a year to paying $10,000 a year in one lump sum. It's much bigger shock than 5,000, 5,300, 5,500. You get, you get me what I mean. Like, yeah. It's that yeah. gradual effect as well to end the bingo about the market. Like if you went to go look elsewhere, well, what would the service be for elsewhere? And then the other, the other, <clears throat> the other one is, is are you a good landlord as well? You know, um, a lot of, a lot of tenants might have good tenants, but also are you a good landlord as well too? And if you are being a good landlord, well, you should be rewarded for that. If there's something breaks down or there's maintenance, are you on top of it? Are you maintaining the property? You know, you might have spent three grand on a new air conditioning system or whatever's going to be the case. Well, you've got to, you've got to be rewarded for that. Yeah. I I often think that, um, or I often tell people that uh, you're actually a product or a service provider. So that the service that you're providing is long-term accommodation. And, and therefore like you need to, if, if the property needs maintaining, you need to jump on it because they're your customers. So you've got to imagine if every tenant gave you a five-star rating or you know, if you were an Uber driver, you'd want to make sure that your car was maintained or your product is maintained. So as a landlord, you're you're providing a service and you want to be uh, treating your tenants like customers and giving them the best of service. And and look, if your tenant can't sort of uh, stomach a large rental increase, well, as, as a landlord or as a property investor, the best thing for you is that you have a good quality tenant in place for the long term. So one of some of the things that you can do is you can work with your property manager to sort of say, well, hey, um, this tenant might not be able, able to afford a big jump now, but can we put incremental uh, increases built into a lease agreement over the long term? That way, you know, I know that the, the tenant can manage that sort of rental increase. I've got a good quality tenant in for the long term. and I don't have to sort of worry about any vacancy periods for the next sort of few years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Some, some really great tips. Some really great tips. Now, we've got a question that comes in. With landlord insurance, rents need to be at current prices or you can't claim. You have to you have to increase them. Really good, really good point. You know, yeah. um, some of these insurances will make sure that they're happening as well too. So, um, thank you very much for that comment and that 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 thought. So, very much so. I think I just want to go a step once couple of stages back. Okay, and what I'm more talking about is your actual personal cash flow and how the property kind of impacts that personal cash flow. So. Obviously, there's a lot of property owners at the moment where they're finding themselves in negative cash flow. Yeah, they're finding themselves, rates have gone up, cost of insurances have gone up, everything's gone up. And they might be looking at their property and going, is it really worth it? Yeah? Yeah. What's your thoughts 
Gianni in this. Obviously, I've got my thoughts as well in regards to this, but what's your take in regards to this? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that were um, under the assumption that they had like a negative gearing strategy in place or for whatever reason, and they, they might have locked in uh, rates at 2% or even lower. You know, I know people that are less than 2% um, and they're coming off this year. And now they're sort of thinking, well, I something's got to give. I can't afford to keep this investment property any longer because I didn't really uh, understand the cash flow considerations uh, as a result. Now, in, in some areas, rental has gone up. I know in some areas, well, the average Australian rental increase is about 10% over the last uh, 12 months. So there there is some relief uh, coming from the additional rental. But at the same time, a lot of expenses have gone up. Mm. Uh, you know, council rates are going up. In some places, council rates are going up 35 40% in some regional um, councils. So th there's people that are considering whether or not they should keep their investment property or not. Mm. And what I what I have, what, in terms of advice, what I, um, I, what I give them is I say, well, speak to your broker to see mm. what you can do. Speak to your property manager to, to ensure that your rent is at market rate. And then consider your expenses. So the, the biggest one for me is people don't review their insurance the year after year that they review their insurance, they just pay the renewal and they and they turn a blind eye. Mm. I liken it to um, if you were to jump on the phone and uh, ring around or do a quick insurance comparison mm. and you saved yourself $100 over 15, 20 minutes, well, that's a $300 hour sort of thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Correct. So, yeah, and you don't pay tax on that money that you've clawed back. So you, you need to consider um, going to your utility providers and saying, hey, what discount can you give me? Yeah. Mm. Definitely, definitely. And I think I think the biggest yeah. biggest one, sorry, is the lack of planning. Yeah. Yeah. And it all boils down to this. So we are speaking to a lot of clients at the moment who are in the market to actually buy property. Okay. They're considering it. It's a part of their investment strategy. And this is what we need to do. Now, when we're doing property and we're doing planning, we're doing rates at the moment at three percent above what they currently would be paying. So let's say you're paying interest at 5% to make it easy. The modeling when the stress testing we're doing is at 8%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now people want to say, John, that's crazy. It's, it's not. Yeah. Because you don't want to find yourself in a hugely negative cash flow position because cash flow is king. Yeah. Yeah. The cash flow. Yeah. And if that stops or that deteriorates, you force yourself into a position where you're going to have to sell or you're going to have, and when you usually are doing that, you're usually selling at a much discounted price. Remember, property, like stocks, is a long-term scenario. And especially when you've got gearing or you've got loans attached to those assets, yeah, the time frame is even longer to reap the benefits. And I think the whole thing about property never losing value and not understanding where it sits on the kind of the, the risk-return scale, it's kind of you know, played with a lot of the mindset in regards to what property is there to use for. But it's a wonderful asset. It's being used correctly, very tax-effective investment as well, um, and long-term can be really, really good on your on your cash flow as well too, if you plan it right. Okay. Yeah. The other thing, um, the other thing as well too is negative gearing, which I want to speak about because negative gearing was a, was a thing that was well kind of or, or very pushed. I would say maybe ten years ago. Okay. It's very pushed. Yeah. It was around buying a property, getting negative gearing so that you can get the tax deductibility from that that negative gearing. Now, growing up, being in the industry since I was 14, I must admit I never wrapped my head around it. Never did. I just never understood it. It was just like, so you're telling me that you're going into this property to lose money. 
And I could never wrap my head around that. And as I got more mature, I started to even question myself. Have I missed something? You know, I started to question myself. Have I got it wrong? And I found myself going, nah, I haven't got it wrong. You haven't. The reality is, is that they've been convinced by who? I can point fingers, but I'm not going to point fingers today. In regards to getting properties to actually essentially lose money so that their tax bill looks better at the end of the day. Okay. The reality is this whole thing about negative gearing is not where you want to be. If you want to be in a position where you no longer need to trade time for money, yeah, and live off your investments, you need to be in a positively geared scenario where your money, your cash flow is positive, yeah? So you've got the ability to reap the rewards of the assets that you've got. So if you've got this understanding of I need to be negatively geared, no. What you want to do is you do want to think long-term, which may subsequently mean that, yes, for a period of one, two, five, six years, depending on what strategies, yes, you may be negative geared for a period of time, but ultimately you want to be in a position to be positively geared so that you reap the rewards of this. In saying this, where property becomes a really great one is in regards to those capital gains that happen in the background. And obviously we're focusing a lot on cash flow, but it's very important to bring this up today the reason why sometimes you let things go for a little bit in this negative gear scenario of pushing towards this positive for a gear because hopefully in the background that this asset is growing in value. Yeah, that five years down the track, say you're positively geared or you're neutrally geared, but that property that was worth 500000 is now worth 600000 five years on. Yeah, and therefore your asset has appreciated in $100,000. You can use those, they can use that equity that you've got to then purchase subsequent property, subsequent investment, subsequent whatever it is. But also that gain, if utilized correctly, does not need to be taxed until you sell it. Yeah. So then it goes back to also making sure that your assets are structured the right way because Gianni did say something very important before was tax, okay? It's a big, big thing. And remember tax and all the donations to the ATO as I call them, yeah, is the biggest killer and the erosion. We've talked about fees and charges, but the other one is around tax. And I'm going to explain this to you in a, in a, in a simple way. It's sometimes very hard. Um, let's say you're going to do a property flip. So let's say you're going to buy a property, you're going to renovate it, you're going to develop it, and then you're going to sell it the next year. Now, let's say if you do that, again, and for all intensive purposes, let's say it's within one year that you've built and flipped, yeah, that capital gain, let's call it 500000 that total $500,000 will go on your taxable income and the government will say, Beautiful. Yeah, I'll take nearly 50% out of that. Yeah, thank you very much. And put it to the coffers about promising to build roads that we never built. Yeah. Or you structure it in a, in an entity. Now, I'm not going to say this is not advice, please. I'm not just saying, just going to speak to you about the difference. So let's say you didn't buy it by yourself, but you bought it with your non-working spouse. Yeah. Or it was in your non-working spouse's name. Therefore, the income that you've earned doesn't go on top. It works its way through the pro progressive period, but you also can be able to reduce like that. You could potentially set up an entity. So for example, like companies, companies pay up to 30%. So rather than you paying at 47.5%, yeah, you're paying at the 30 cents mark, okay? So you're really trying to be making sure that when you set up your investments, you're setting them up the right way, okay? Because of the cash flow considerations, not just now, but in the long term. Companies, though, in the long term, sometimes are the right, right place to be. Yeah, you might want it in regards to a discretionary trust, which gives you options to move it elsewhere. Or if you're nearing retirement, you might want to do it through a self-managed super fund. Caps out, tax rate, 15%. 
when you're in pensions phase zero. Yeah. Obviously, guys, there's there's you know there's issues riddled in everything, and there's hurdles that you need to do. But I think a big one with cash flow that people underestimate is the ownership structure of the asset, and it doesn't need to be property we're talking about here. This is all assets that you own. Yeah, exactly. Um, biggest consideration, or one of the first questions that I ask when when um, I onboard people is what structure are we we purchasing it in? Because we, we need to understand uh, the, the cash flow considerations for tax, but also land tax as well. So in a number of states, you don't get the land tax threshold if you purchase in uh, a non-individual entity. So uh, company, trust, SMSF, and, and therefore we need to take that into account when we're working out the cash flow as well. Yeah, definitely. And this is where the accountant really gets involved. Like, you know, it's not just the, the, the property specialist. It's not just the financial advisor. It's surrounding yourself with the right accountant and working with the accountant, the financial advisor, and the mortgage broker so that they understand about how it's facilitated. But there is considerations that need to be made based on your cash flow, both in your short-term cash flow requirements, but also in your long-term cash flow requirements as well, because you'll be kicking yourself if you set it up the wrong way from the start. Exactly. All right. Well, that was great to deep dive. Obviously, as you know, we can talk about this to the calcium home. But that's it. You know, for those for those who you know love these sessions, please feel free to reach out for any topics that you do want to cover. You know, if you know anyone that's considering to buy property or you think that they might need some guidance, feel free to share this with them as well too. And me and Gianni will try and answer any questions. And for those who were live today, uh, thank you very much for the comments and the questions. And hopefully, you've enjoyed it. But once again, Gianni, thank you very much for joining me. No, pleasure. Thank you again for having me. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.